Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello, good afternoon, welcome. You have arrived at English Revision Pods, the one-stop shop for all your GCSE revision needs. To clarify, only with regards to English and more specifically the text we've covered so far. So in a sense, it's not a one-stop shop. You'd have to go to a lot of different shops. But I think Many shops on a high like... street. One shop on a high street. But we're a good one. We're a nice shop, I feel. John Lewis. That kind of shop. I've not been in, but I've heard it's lovely in there. Anyway, we digress because what I should be saying to you is that we as ever have been uh, enjoyed reading your emails on our email address which is what sir englishrevisionpod at gmail.com thank you very much we have had quite a few now a lot of you asking for power and conflict poetry which we are going to move on to very soon uh, we've also had a few requesting Macbeth which isn't actually a text we cover at our school but we are very happy to do one so we will be doing a Macbeth podcast in the next couple of weeks yeah, next week hopefully oh brilliant I look, I look forward to it sir um, so Today we are carrying on with our, well this will be our third episode dealing with an inspector calls. Um, hopefully from our last two podcasts you've started to get a good feel for the play, you've reminded yourself of the kind of key themes and ideas and today I think we're, we're looking at quite a, a relatively tricky question. So. Yes, so I think we've talked so far about character questions and theme questions and how you might structure them. This question is perhaps the most obvious question and it's one certainly on the old spec of AQA um, came up quite a few times and it's discuss how Priestley presents the role of the inspector in an inspector calls. Ah, we're going we're going right to the heart of the matter. We're looking at the inspector himself. Yeah, so we need to think about his role in the play. So the question here, um, to be really clear, we need to think when we're talking about his role, we need to be thinking what is Priestley doing? How is not only is how how is Priestley presenting him, but also why is Priestley presenting him in this way? I should probably jump in there, sir, and say that our students would do very well, of course, as ever to go to the bio of this podcast now click on the link where they can then download the handout which includes the question as well as all the key vocabulary and the quotations we're going to be working with alongside the context it's all there it's all there and also um, one little thing though if you listen to this on spotify mm-hmm. it's sometimes difficult to download the that's true you can't you can't click on the link itself but you can copy and paste the link into your browser and uh, that will take you to the handout it's also great just to listen to these on the bus on the way home or whatever but very good idea to then later on next time you're at a computer get yourself the handout to go with it will stay in your mind yeah. so um I think the first thing we can talk about when we're talking about the, the role of the inspector is the, perhaps the most obvious, that the inspector is this disruptive and powerful force. Right. And we see this right from his first arrival on stage. He's this eruptive presence. And I, I mean eruptive here with an I. It's spelt in your key vocabulary. Fantastic. It's, the opposite, it it's the opposite of eruptive with an E. So eruptive means to, to burst out violent like a volcano. Eruptive, which is what, how I'm describing the inspector, means to, to burst in. He bursts into their world. And I think crucially... 
he bursts in with a sharp ringing of the doorbell. Now, it's a little word it's almost hidden within the stage directions, but I think it's a crucial one. Yeah, I mean, it, it ties in perhaps also with the lighting, which we've been previously been told is pink and intimate and becomes brighter and harder when the inspector comes on stage. Likewise, the idea of the, the sharp ringing of the doorbell, it's the idea that the inspector's eruptive presence cuts through it, bursts their bubble, it, yes. it shines the harsh light of reality on their world. Mm. It, it sets him up as this intrusive presence who's going to have a real effect on them. And much in the same way that the it's no accident that it's described as a sharp ringing of the doorbell it's also no accident that he rings that doorbell at the very moment when Mr Burling has reached the crux of his argument the crux of what he's saying to Gerald and Eric and this is an example of a great point which is a structural point where you don't actually necessarily need to quote right you can just paraphrase in your own words and you'll certainly get the credit for it Mm. um the stage directions also are important in terms of the description of the man himself Um, He creates at once an impression, Priestley writes, of massiveness, solidity and purposefulness. Mm -hmm. So the metaphorical idea of his kind of solidity here, his massiveness, uh, implies that he cannot be moved, that wealth, privilege, status can't shift him. He's this unstoppable force trying to bring about social change. Interesting. So Mr. Burling is going to throw various different things at him. He's going to chuck his kind of status in town he's going to talk about people he knows he's going to throw everything he can at the inspector to try and discourage him from uh, investigating his family but the inspector will remain immovable remain yeah. strong yeah and we see this um, also the example when when he's showing the photograph and you know the, the station the, the inspector imposes himself between them and the photograph so he's he literally at times in this play places himself between um, mr burling this man of higher you know higher status mm-hmm. uh, and and what and, and and the truth he he stands there as this this presence protecting eva smith that's one uh, that's one of the moments when burling first realizes how different this um this situation is going to be is when the inspector's physical placing of himself he's almost realizes that he's no longer in control even though he's in his own home he's no longer in control of this situation are there any other examples you'd bring in here um for where the inspector seems completely unimpressed and immovable in the face of Mr Burling. I think there is. I think there's quite a comedic one, really, which is when Mr Burling is going down that classic kind of rich guy, rich privileged guy um, route where he says, oh, I'm actually friends with the... um, Is it the chief police inspector? And uh, we we play golf together. You know, it's that classic kind Mm. of thing that... um, that sort of um, upper-class men would do together. And what he's trying to subtly let the inspector know is, look, you, you better watch your manners, inspector, because I know people, right? I'm mm. good friends with the inspector. We play golf together. And to which the inspector just replies dryly, I don't play golf. Yeah, it's a seemingly kind of flippant comment, yeah. and yet it shows his power, doesn't it? It shows he is, the, he is this power to stand up to the privilege, to, right. to the, the abuse of privilege that we yeah. see in Mr Burling. And even worse, as far as Burling's concerned, he's happy just to sort of cast it away. He's completely uninterested in it. He's not even necessarily fighting against it. He's just, it means nothing to him. Yeah. So I like that as a first paragraph. We built up this inspector as this incredibly, as you use that great word from the vocabulary bank, an incredibly uh, eruptive force he cuts into the Burling's lives and straight away he changes the dynamic of how they expect to be able to interact. And I think to finish off this paragraph it's just worth coming back to the question thing about the role. So therefore, you know, he is for, for Priestley this 
didactic force. This, he carries with him from the start this clear moral message that actually we need someone to stand up to privilege, to stand up to the, the inequality perhaps that we've seen historically in Edwardian society and that's carried on through to the time in Priestley's writing in 1945. Fantastic. I think for the second paragraph, sir, you wanted to look at the inspector as a quasi-supernatural figure. Yeah, so quasi just a fancy way of saying sort of here. Uh, so you know, I think because it's never explicitly said precisely what, what he is, but... Mr Forster is a quasi-idiot. No, it doesn't quite work <laughs> in that sense, but certainly uh, the inspector's a quasi-supernatural figure with uh-huh. this uncanny knowledge about the Burling family I think is really important. Right. So even his name, the obvious pun on the word ghoul, spelt G-H-O-U-L. Which uh, is another way of saying ghost. Yeah, it's, go- it's a ghost. It sets up the idea that he's this, this being that haunts the family, that mm-hmm. this monster even, that, 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 that brings, brings them to, to, to a realisation. Right. Okay, so he's got this this idea that he knows things that he shouldn't know. That's perhaps one of the first... Um, the first times that we see that and you describe that as an uncanny knowledge what do you mean yeah. by the word uncanny so uncanny it's another word in our key quotation bank but it means yeah. it's strange or mysterious so he knows things in a way that perhaps we wouldn't expect a naturalistic police inspector to know okay so be a, he almost immediately or as you read on and you learn about him you get this idea that okay this this man almost has powers beyond what we would have inspect as a human inspector but it's not until the end of the play it's not until act three that we learn perhaps what's most strange about him so of Mm. course we learn first uh, they begin to suspect that he's perhaps not a police officer and eric and sheila are the only two that really realise his significance. Now, I think we need, to, we need to be clear exactly with what we're doing here, because I think this is a really interesting way of addressing this paragraph. But what we're doing is we're not just exploring whether the inspector is a supernatural figure or not. We're then saying, well, if he is a supernatural figure, how does that affect the other characters in the yeah. play? That's what's important, isn't it? Not whether he's a ghost or not, but if he is this supernatural figure, then what is his role as a supernatural yeah, what's his figure? message and what effect does he have? And what do you think that is? Because it's only Eric and Sheila that really realise his significance. Right, the others are so happy just to count it all out as a prank or something yeah, strange or that happens. He's a socialist crank, you know. Mm. But Sheila says what's important is not whether the man is a police inspector or not. But mm-hmm. she focuses instead upon what they all did to Eva Smith. And Eric, that hasn't changed. Yeah. Eric simply notes that he was our police inspector, all right. The, that, yeah, the word our there, the suggestion that, that he, his function is actually specific to them. Yeah, that is, one possessive really adjective important. is fascinating, isn't it? The idea that, you know, he, was, he may not have been the police inspector or an, a police inspector, but he was certainly our police inspector. Yeah. And, and she also says that he was frightening and that he inspected us. Mm-hmm. I mean, her rhetoric in Act 3 even seems to echo the language of the inspector. She talks about how she remembers the fire and blood and anguish. She, right. she echoes his final speech, so, which seems to show how actually the, this haunting presence the inspector has taken over her, has cha- transformed her from this childish, petulant, immature figure that we saw in Act 1 to someone who actually clearly has a, a social conscience. Someone who's deep, who has a kind of deep wisdom that we would have never guessed when she was talking about how pretty her wedding ring was yeah. and calling her mum, mummy and all those early <laughs> so to, things. So to come back to the topic sentence, that uh, he seems this supernatural figure not only because of his knowledge, not only because of his uncanny presence, but also because of this dramatic effect that he has on those that he encounters, right. particularly the young. The young, those are the ones he has the effect on. So if I've understood you right, and to be fair, I often haven't, but if we're saying the second paragraph, what we're, what we're basically saying is that if he is a supernatural figure then the important thing is how it affects the Burlings. Definitely. So that moves us on to the third paragraph. And I was thinking that we'd then 
wrap up the essay by talking about the inspector as Priestley's voice within the play. Yeah, uh, a metaphor I often use in my own essays here is the idea of him as a mouthpiece for Priestley. Okay. Um, because actually, if we look at a bit of an AO3 point here, if we look at um, Priestley's own radio show, which he had during World War II, uh-huh. the inspector's final speech is uncannily similar to Priestley's own voice talking about socialism, talking about the need for social change. So it's very easy to see, um, actually, to see him as this surrogate author. So that means he, he stands in for Priestley. He represents Priestley in the right. play. He's saying what Priestley would have said to these characters if he could. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. And um, because I suppose the bit you want to start off with looking at is the repetition in the line, there are millions and millions and millions of Eva Smiths and John Smiths left with us, with their lives, their hopes and fears, their suffering and chance of happiness, all intertwined with our lives. So I think to look at this straight away, we need to start off by looking at the name Eva Smith. Um, The surname Smith was, of course, in 1945, a bit of a contextual point, um, one of the most common surnames. Okay. And Eva, as a name, certainly has these connotations of Eve, the first woman in the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And it sets her up, it transforms this working-class woman with this tragic fate into this symbol, this everyman symbol, representing not just herself, but all all kind of downtrodden working class figures in Edwardian society. She represents all of those working class people. And when those working class people, of course, what they have, according to the quote, oh, we should first of all say that there are, of course, the repetition of millions and millions and millions of them. So the inspector stressing, Priestley's voice through the inspector, stressing that there are still so many of these people who need us to change. But perhaps more importantly, that they have hopes, they have fears, they have suffering, and they have happiness. He's humanising them. He's, he's, and, and, and also the crucial thing is he's, pre- he's preaching to his audience that this is in the present tense. There are millions and millions and millions. They are left with us. And they, they still have their lives, their hopes and fears. So the implication being that Priestley is suggesting through the inspector is that we, the audience, along with the Burlings, have the chance to affect this, to help them, to, to enable them to, to live. And a chance to move around the play, of course, is that quote there almost directly contradicts what Mrs. Burling had said before when she was talking about Eva Smith or Daisy Renton giving, or Mrs. Burling, as she called herself then, giving herself ridiculous airs and graces that were or fine scruples that were simply ridiculous for someone in her position and yet here's the inspector really drilling the point that of course these people just like anyone have these hopes they have these fears they have these dreams it's a complete antithesis to the patronizing attitude of mr and mrs burling um, and also, I think the metaphor we need to look at here is the idea of them being intertwined with our lives. Okay. Because unlike the, Mr. Burling's rejection of community when he says, you know, we all mix up together like bees in a hive, he right. rejects that idea back in Act 1. Um, the inspector is instead suggesting that, that the lives of the lower classes are intertwined, are connected um, inextricably with those of the middle and the upper classes. Okay, nice. Much in the way that, um, you know, uh, upper class people like your good self should be perhaps more um, more sympathetic to those beneath them quiet you worm <laughs> uh, so um, moving beyond that of course um, he, uh, he also then says that we don't live alone we are members of one body we are responsible for each other. Now, that's how I feel like I've heard that before somewhere. Where might I have heard it before? Yeah, it echoes the language of the Eucharist, perhaps, in, from your Christian upbringing, which is, of course, <laughs> um, the, 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 in, in Christianity, the, the giving of the communion as part of a church service. Um, and in the anaphoric repetition of we, 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 um, 
anaphora being, of course, uh, a key word on our sheet today, uh, meaning the repetition at the start of different sentences or clauses of the same words. As it's the it's the we we yeah. we at the beginning of each sentence that makes yeah. it anaphora. Um, it, in the anaphoric repetition here, we, we, there is this echo of this biblical language of this the language of the Eucharist that that's that that here though is fundamentally not religious though. Priestly mm. is setting up the inspector not as a priest but as a secular preacher preaching humanism not religion preaching social responsibility that's interesting so he's like a he's a non-religious preacher if you like yeah and and i think uh, that actually this leads us in nicely to the apocalyptic imagery right. of the end of his speech he this said, is how you'd end the essay really yeah he says that if men will not learn that lesson then they'll be taught it in fire and blood and anguish Mm. It's such powerful imagery, isn't it? I think particularly for an audience in 1945, this triadic structure would have been particularly emotive because, of course, they would have lived through the horrors of the two world wars in the first half of the 20th century. They would have lived through the violence and the the idea that... um, these were the direct results of the selfishness of, of society. They would have seen the real fire, blood and anguish. Yeah, it's, it's quite a... would have been a shocking and emotive message for early audiences. And in a way, it's Priestley saying sort of, well, look what did happen. Look, man, man didn't learn and perhaps man yeah. was, yeah, was the, taught. The reality of the Holocaust, the reality of the, of the, of the, of the unimaginable death and suffering of World War II mm. that um, even 100 years before would, would not have seemed possible. Very nice. I think that about wraps up this essay. What do you think, sir? Yeah, I think we've got to come back to, obviously, what this says about the role of the inspector then overall for a conclusion. Okay. And I think perhaps the idea, therefore, is that the inspector ultimately is is an opportunity for Priestley to preach. Right. That, that this play ultimately becomes a platform through which Priestley can talk to the audience. It's not simply a, a piece of entertainment. And the message that we learn from this, I think, is as relevant today as it would have been for audiences in 1945. Right. The, we, we, the... we live in a time of austerity, a time of social inequality, a time of rising social inequality. Mm. And perhaps, as we said last week, we too need to listen to that voice. Do of... you think Priestley would have been sad to see how little of his message has been yeah. taken on in 2019? But at least we're still studying it today. So well, that's you, it, yeah. you, dear listener, have have the chance to change fantastic you uh, you won't have heard hopefully you won't have heard this listener because we've been sort of pausing and going back but that was a, that was an absolute nightmare of a recording sir we had some colleagues rather unprofessionally trying to disrupt us we had colleagues messing up the podcast we had the phone conking out halfway through i'd say i'd say it's a minor miracle never mind what Priestley achieved i'd say it's a minor miracle that we've made it through this podcast sir so good night